Welcome to the Productivity Show by Asian Efficiency, helping you do more and be better. And now here's your host, Zachary Sexton. Very quick note before we begin the interview, Michael and I talk about his visual guideline for doing important work. He calls it his Freedom Compass, and you can see what it looks like in the show notes over at theproductivityshow.com forward slash 109. It's a bit more visual in nature if that will help you out and understand what you should be doing, what you should be focusing on, and what you should be eliminating and delegating and automating. So please enjoy this interview with Mr. Michael Hyatt. You are tuned into the Productivity Show by Asian Efficiency. My name is Zachary Sexton, and today I have with me Mr. Michael Hyatt. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Zach. Good to talk with you. Hey, it is great to talk with you. I feel like I've listened and, and, and read so much of your, uh, your articles and your podcasts and your books over the years that it's, um, it's, it's like I've got my own little uh, mentor with me here today. Um, just for those who don't know your background, you are a New York Times bestselling author a speaker and former CEO and chairman of Thomas Nelson Publishing, one of the largest book publishers in the world. These experiences have made you an expert in leadership, in personal productivity, in book publishing, in social media, and you've also host a incredibly popular podcast, which I mentioned, This Is Your Life, and a blog that allows you to act as a virtual mentor for millions of people, including myself, all across the world. So today, I, I there's so many areas we could dive into because you've you've had such a long career and you've explored so many different topics. But I'd love to focus in on exactly that focus and productivity, so you can achieve more and be free to explore the things that you really want to in life. So that's my little overview. My first question is uh, is is just more about you. Can you tell us about your career and what led you to becoming an expert in productivity? Yeah, I think, Zach, I've always had a love for technology and being really hyper-organized and being more efficient. I always have had big dreams for my life and things that I wanted to accomplish. And the only way that I could figure out how to squeeze more juice out of the lemon, so to speak, is get more efficient at what I do. And so even back in college, you know, I was the guy that as a college student had a study carol where I went and I treated it just like an office. I kept office hours I had a day planner, an organizer that I used, and I mapped out my days. Even in those days, I had a to-do list and managed my calendar and all that stuff. And then when I first started blogging back in 2004, um, I decided to really focus around this whole idea of productivity. And so my blog was called uh, Working Smart, and I focused on all the little hacks and strategies and tips that I had learned, sort of the intersection between technology and productivity and they became amazingly popular. And I've still had an aspect of everything that I've always uh, done on my blog or in social media has been about productivity. This is a topic you've explored since 2004, so well over a decade at this point. Do you have any personal definitions or, or meanings behind productivity that you like to tell people? Yeah, I think it's very different from what I think a lot of people assume that it means. I think that Productivity for a lot of people is kind of an end in itself. It's about working faster, getting more done in the same time frame, and filling up the white space in your life with more activity. And for me, it's not about that at all. For me, productivity is a means to an end, and I think it's incredibly important uh, to talk about the kind of lifestyle that you want and what your life looks like if you had total control of it 
and money was no object, what would your life look like? My guess is you probably wouldn't just be trying to, to get more done. And so to me, it's all about these days about creating margin for the things that really matter and the, the relationships that really matter. And so for me, productivity is about being as efficient as I can be and as effective as I can be so that I've got time for the things that matter, like focus, like being present with the ones I love, like being spontaneous in the moment, because not every moment has to be accounted for. Where do you think that misunderstanding about productivity comes from? Just I, I need to stop this tagline, but I, I talk about doing more and being better. But I've talked to so many people like yourself or Greg McEwen of Essentialism or just a lot of people are like, no, just do less but better uh, is, is the name of the game. Where do you think that comes from the, the thing that people who are interested in productivity yeah. are always just trying to fill up that extra hour, fill up that extra space, get that extra project done, check that extra box? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from a kind of an outdated model. And we inherited this. If we want to blame somebody, we can blame a, a person by the name of Frederick Winslow Taylor, who was an efficiency expert during the industrial age. And so he was really trying to crank more work out of factory workers. And so he thought that the less control they have, the less discretion they have, and the more control their managers had, the more efficient the whole thing would be, the whole uh, factory would be. But the problem is we don't really work in factories anymore. I mean, at least most of us. Yeah, there are some manufacturing jobs, and maybe that model still works there. But it doesn't work for most of us that have a lot of autonomy over our schedules. But we, we still continue to work as though, you know, getting the most amount done is critically important. You know, check off as many boxes as you possibly can, and that's the secret to winning. And I just, I don't think that model works anymore. So what do you do when you have this autonomy? You, you uh, no longer are just cranking widgets or turning bolts or standing on the assembly line. You actually have to decide what to do and then the most effective way to do it and um, and figure out if that thing that you just did was actually valuable or not. What are some of the, the first steps uh, on, on getting a hold of personal productivity in the 21st century? Well, you know, interestingly, when we survey people, and we did a big survey this past spring where we asked, asked a couple uh, thousand people if they were familiar with the getting done, getting things done framework that uh, David Allen invented. And I, I love David. He's been a huge help to me, and his book was instrumental in my productivity journey. But I know it doesn't work for everybody, and I want to kind of quantify that because some people, like my wife, for example, or, or my daughter who runs my business, they can't stand it. And so we tried to drill into that a little uh, deeper, and we discovered that for a lot of people, when they have too many tasks, they feel guilty. They feel like they're playing a game they can't win. They feel overwhelmed by that list. And I think that for most of us, we haven't taken time to ask ourselves the question, do we really need to be tackling all these tasks? And I can tell you that once your task list, your total task list, however you manage that, whether it's with software or in a paper planner or a legal pad, whenever you get more than about 50 tasks at one time that are on those lists, even if a lot of them are out of sight, the quality of um, well-being tends to decrease. And so one of the things that I recommend in my course, Free to Focus, is the, is the whole idea of skinning that down to the things, and we have a concept called the Freedom Compass in that course, to the things that you're really passionate about and you're really proficient at. We call that the desire zone. And just for a minute, let me just give you the opposite of that, which is the drudgery zone where you don't really have any passion about it and you're not particularly good at it. And that's where people experience 
uh, a loss of job satisfaction, a sense of frustration, a sense of just being, you know, consigned to work that they hate. Um, I had a friend of mine who posted on Facebook. She said, uh, this was over the weekend. She said, what do you call somebody that loves Mondays? And then her answer to that was retired. And my answer to that is somebody that loves Mondays is somebody that has skinnied their to-do list down to the things that are in the desire zone. And that's not that many things. You know, once you figured out how you can eliminate, automate, or delegate the things that aren't in your desire zone, then all of a sudden you have a life that's manageable and now you're playing a game that you can win. Ah, that's that's wonderful. So elimination comes first. And I've actually heard you say no and yes are the two most powerful words in productivity. Can you tell me why that is? Yeah. And so this like isn't a new idea with me. I mean, Greg McEwen, whom you mentioned earlier, talks about this. Uh, Tim Ferriss talks about this. But everything in life is a trade-off. You know, the one resource that's fixed is our time. You know, you can get more money, you can get more uh, relationships, you can get almost any more of any resource you need. But time, not so much. 168 hours, that's the allotment that you and I have been given every week. And so every time we're saying yes to one thing, we're implicitly saying no to something else. Or to say it the opposite way, if we say no to something, then we're saying yes to something else. So when I say no to that opportunity to have coffee with someone who's a mere acquaintance, and as much as I would like to do that, because I really like to be helpful, uh, that's probably going to mean for me that I'm going to say no to something else. Maybe it's my morning workout, or maybe it's time with my family, or maybe it's just time, you know, in personal development. But those are two sides of the same coin. You can't say yes without saying no, and you can't say no without saying yes. Now, to dive a little deeper into how to clear the decks, you're someone who likely has a number of opportunities that cross your desk. I imagine you get asked out to coffee pretty much every single day. Um, how do you deal with two things, both the fear of missing out and the fear of disappointing others when you have to say no to them? Well, first of all, Zach, for me, those are really hard. That emotional component has been uh, difficult for me to contend with because I'm, I'm kind of a recovering people pleaser. And, you know, the fear of missing out, I think that is something that happens to anybody who's an entrepreneur. You think, you know, there's just that next opportunity that if I say no to could be the, you know, the opportunity to invest in Facebook, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. But um, I think you got to have a filter. You've got to have a way to evaluate that stuff that makes sense. And I go back to this idea of this freedom compass. And if you imagined a two by two matrix, so you had passion was one axis and proficiency was another axis. And the things that you really want to be saying yes to are the things that where you've got a lot of passion around it and you're pretty good at it. The things that you don't want to say yes to are the things that to me are the automatic no are the things that I don't have any passion around it and I'm not very good at it. So for example, if I get asked in a business to sit on a committee where I'm just not passionate about it or I don't have a lot of proficiency around it, then I'm going to, you know, if I can't say no, because maybe I've got a boss who's asking, I'll try to negotiate out of that because I, I don't need to be populating either my calendar or my to-do list with those items that are in the drudgery zone. But sometimes there are those items where I'm maybe good at it, but I don't have a lot of passion around it. I call that the disinterest zone. And so for me, that would be things around accounting or finance. I'm actually pretty good at it. I've gotten good over the years um, as a uh, corporate executive, but I don't have any passion around it. And there are a lot of people that have both. 
and I'd rather defer to them. So I don't want to be operating in my disinterest zone either. Then there, to complete the those two by two matrix, there are those things where I have a lot of passion, but I'm not very good at it. And I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And in Nashville, you can go to almost any restaurant in town, and the people that are serving you there are world-class musicians. They have a lot of passion around their music. Only problem is that they're either not good enough, at least in this town, to get a gig or for it to pay the bills. And so we call that the distraction zone. The trick is, though, there are some things that started the distraction zone that eventually are going to migrate to the desire zone, and wisdom is trying to figure out, you know, which is which. But that acts as a filter for me so that if I get a request so that I can say no to it, so that I have the power to say no, I'm going to ask, is that a desire zone activity or is it something else? And if it's not a desire zone activity for me, again, something I'm passionate about and proficient at, I'm going to try to figure out a way to negotiate out of it or just outright say no. When you have a distraction, because I feel like the the drudgery, it's like you you know those ones, or the the right. ones where you're not very passionate about, you know those. How do you start to identify some of those distraction zone ones where you're like, oh, well, this is very interesting. I enjoy this. I think it's serving me, but I'm not sure. Do you have any criteria for that? Well, I think time. You know, I think sometimes we just have to give ourselves permission to experiment. I, I'm really thinking of activities though in this area where we go to escape. You know, social media for a lot of people is that, you know, social media is a part of my job. I, I have a big membership site called Platform University. We te teach people how to, you know, build online platforms, which includes social media. So I'm not opposed to social media unless it's not purposeful, unless it's just a distraction that's kind of out of control. And, you know, Cal Newport talks about this in Deep Work, which phenomenal book if you haven't read it. But in that book, Cal talks about the importance of staying focused on a problem or just staying in that kind of that zone where you do the deep thinking to innovate. And that doesn't happen if every time you're jumping over to social media to kind of relieve the stress of that kind of thinking. And so to me, those are the, the questions. Am I jumping over here in the distraction zone to escape? Or is it about experiment? Because I think I might have a capability. Initially for me, blogging was a distraction. I was passionate about it. I just wasn't very good at it. But over time I got good at it. And so I had to give myself permission to experiment in that particular uh, zone and not just write it off because it was a distraction. Does that uh, make that, sense? That's super helpful. We, we actually had Cal on the podcast, and one of the things he helped me out personally with, it was a bonus little audio we put in the show notes, but it, it's something called a productive meditation. It's in his book. And when I read it in his book, I wasn't all that convinced. I was like, well, you know, okay, that seems good for a, uh, a, a computer scientist like Cal who's doing all this theory in his head. But he really convinced me to give it a shot and to, um, to focus on the problem at hand while I'm going through my day. So maybe I'm giving the dog a walk or cleaning up the dishes rather than what I used to do is pop on an audiobook or a podcast or something that might have been, it seemed like productive, you know, it's like good new information. Yeah. Um, it, it actually ended up being a distraction because it took me out of the focus state that I was in prior when I was solving the problem. And, and I'm now thinking about these new problems or these new ideas or these new concepts, and I'm no longer able to easily get back into the writing or the whatever... Um, activity I, I was I was charged with 20 minutes ago before I popped on that distraction. So I, thank you for bringing that in there. That That's a good reminder of that. It's a great tip. So on the other end of, of the spectrum, you've got the 
um, the grind, the not passionate, the the um, uh, what do you call it? The the not, the drudgery not, zone. Yeah. The drudgery zone. Yeah. Well, adjective for for terrible. Um, <laughs> let, let's say you know you you've got. 20 30 percent of your day in the drudgery zone you're, you're doing a little bit too much email you're um uh you've got maybe if you're not very detailed focused you've got a lot of detail work or if you're not very big picture fo- focused you've got like big picture planning you've got to do how do you start to get out of that drudgery zone and move more towards the um the the passionate proficient zone well let me go back to the eliminate category and and what i would do there is i would arrange my tasks based on that four box matrix, you know, again, we call it the freedom compass, but, uh, cause we turn it at a 45 degree angle and true North is that, uh, desire zone. So I would go through and I would uh, just get a sense of where you're at right now. How many activities that you're doing on a daily or weekly basis are true desire on act- desire zone activities and how many are in the drudgery zone? So then those items that are in the drudgery zone, you want to try to minimize those in some way. So how do you do that? Well, one way is you could just ask yourself the question, does this need to be done by anybody? I mean, you know, some things we just keep doing because we've always done them and they're really not that essential. We just have a, have a hard time quitting on stuff. And some of the best time, one of the best things we can do is just quit on those activities and say no to that activity. I'm no longer going to do that. It no longer serves a purpose that it may have in a season of my life, but it's no longer relevant. So I'm going to say no. There are ac- other activities that have to be done but they don't have to be done by you. And this brings us to automate. Maybe they could be done by a machine. Now, when I talk about automation, I'm also talking about rituals and workflows and other things that are not technology, but let's just stick to the technology for a minute. There may be things that we could automate. For example, one of the most useful things I ever did with regard to email was catalog the requests that came in. And at the time I did this, I realized that I basically had a universe of 32 different kinds of requests that that came into my office. It was everything from you know, can I have coffee and pick your brain to, uh, would you consider reviewing my book proposal to, would you consider serving on my board? And so I created templated responses to each of those. I didn't do them overnight. I didn't even do them in a week, but every time I got one of those requests, I just sort of, I I decided that instead of just answering this as a one-off, I'm going to write a templated response, a response that I would be proud of, a response that would be truly uh, truly helpful, and a response that I could save to use for later. And so I ended up over time addressing all 32 of those requests. And so then the second time I got that same request for which I'd created a template, all I had to do was do the template. And I might, you know, put a kind of warm it up with a personalized sentence at the beginning or a PS at the end, but it cut my email processing time. I don't know, probably 80%, maybe more than that, because the requests that we get tend to be pretty routine and tend to be the same thing over and over again. So that's the automation uh, part of it. The other part of it um, is, you know, it doesn't have to be done by you, but it does have to be done by a human. And that's where we delegate. And the thing that we don't want to do, we don't want uh, to delegate things that nobody should be doing. So that's why we eliminate. And we don't want to delegate things that could be done by a machine or automated because why pay somebody when a machine can do it? So to delegate, you know, that's a whole other process of asking, okay, who is a person on my team or even laterally, sometimes even my boss, somebody that's better equipped to handle this because this is in their desire zone. 
And so you follow that. You eliminate it first. It's not even worth automating something that's not worth doing. That's right. Then you then you look for some sort of automations. And if there's it, you need that human touch. You you find some way to delegate in your course, uh, free to focus. You talk about some easy ways to delegate with either virtual assistants and um, and some specific tools you could use to automate. Our audience is very familiar with Text Expander. We talk about it constantly. So if you Love haven't it. downloaded that, ah, just download it. It's amazing. Uh, and and the best part about that is with those templates, you could use them anywhere. And, um, and you could add little fill-in boxes so you can personalize it just like you were talking about. And um, in, in your course, I would say the, the price of admission was paid when you talked about that template mindset. When I, when I dove into the automation section, I was like, okay, uh, you talk about self-automation with rituals. Yes, awesome. Process documentation, we, we've had Sam Carpenter on. We, we, we love that topic. Uh, computer automation, uh, you know, we won't stop talking about Text Expander or uh, Hazel or all these other cool things that you could do to automate the things that are, that are obvious, that just are mechanical and just need to be mm-hmm. done in nature. Um, but the template one, I was like, oh, this is where I'm falling short. And you, you specifically talked about how you template some of your keynotes and you save those. And I'm just like, well, that would have saved me like two weeks of my life if I've... <laughs> <laughs> so thank you personally for that You're one. I, I'm like, uh, wh- where can I get the, my old templates back so I can save all this work coming up in the future? Um, so that was that was fun. That was a lesson that, that I hadn't learned in a long time, even though I've been diving into productivity last two, three years, um, what's a lesson that's taken you the longest maybe to learn when it comes to focus and personal productivity? Yeah, I think the biggest one is to really create a daily game that I can win. And here's how I used to do it. And here's how most people do it. You know, you start the day with more tasks than you can possibly complete or everything just has to fall right. Like you can't have any interruptions. You can't be distracted. You got to gear yourself up for it got to get your head in it and everything's got to work like clockwork if you're going to get all these items done. And I've seen people with 15, 20 items on their, their list and they try to batch them and they try to be efficient and all that. But inevitably, and this is how I was, I got to the end of the day and I realized that I had a bunch of stuff that was still undone that I had to push over to the next day. Well, that made me feel like I was losing, right? It made me feel like Um, I was overwhelmed. There was too much to do. It made me irritated with other people because other people were uh, an obstacle basically in the way of me completing my to-do list, which is totally contrary to what I, I value about people. You know, people are, are not, uh, a challenge or an obstacle in my path to greater productivity. If that's how I see people, something's fundamentally wrong with my definition of productivity. So one of the things I started doing was creating this thing that I call a blueprint for a productive day. And it looks like this. So I have a morning ritual and that's where I, you know, do a self ritual or an auto ritual, certain things that I do the same every single morning. I don't even think about them anymore. I just click through them. Then I do a, a weekday startup ritual. Like today when we're recording, this is Tuesday my startup ritual is going to look the same Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it could be different if, if somebody wanted to. But for me, it's things like checking email, checking Slack, making sure my team's taken care of. They've got their assignments. Then, and this is the cool part, and this was the game changer for me. I focus on the big three. And the big three are three tasks that are really important and that will really move the needle in some aspect of my business and really make a difference. So this isn't busy work. It's all stuff in my desire zone. 
because I don't have that many tasks I have to complete, the stuff that's left for me, the things that I'm passionate about, the things I'm really proficient in, and the things that are important. And then I do a workday shutdown ritual, and then I do an end of the day, you know, sort of an evening ritual to close out the day. But primarily my focus is on three tasks. Now, the cool thing about it is sometimes I'll finish those by 11 a.m. Well, how do you think that makes me feel? That makes me feel like full of energy, like I knocked off the three things I had to do today. They were all important. I feel great. Anything else I do, it's a bonus. I love it. Create a game you could win. That, because I, you hear that all the time. I, you end the day with a longer to-do list than you began. And that simple reframe, you're right. It, when it comes to your relationships, it can really get in the way. If you're trying to focus on something and, and somebody else needs your attention for a task that they're working on, maybe you delegated it, um, it it's, it's not going to be a, a fun, pretty picture if that's the way you navigate the world. I, I have one more question, Michael, okay. I'd, lo- I'd love to ask. And then we, we always wrap up the, uh, the show with three questions, so I'll give you a second to think about them. A book that has helped you become more productive, we've already talked about a couple of them here, a tool or a resource you would love to recommend to our, res- our listeners, and I know you're a big Evernote fan, so something like that, and a ritual that has helped you out in your life. Um, but my final question is, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? That's a tough one, because I get, a- I get a- asked all kinds of questions all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can identify one. All right. All right. I like it because yeah, that's, it's something since you, I knew you talked to so many different people that, uh, that people are likely asking the same questions over and over and over again. But, um, if there's any extra advice you, you think when we're, when you're going through these last few questions, we could okay. s- plug it in there. Um, so let's, let's go on to the book tool and ritual. Uh, what's a, a book that's helped you become more productive? Well, I definitely, Definitely think that Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, has Mm -hmm. been hugely, hugely helpful to me because I think that Cal has identified really the whole purpose why we want to be more productive. So we can make our greatest contribution, so we can do our deepest, most innovative work. And so that book, you know, I I didn't read it till I was about three quarters of the way through designing my own course. And then when I read it, I just thought, oh my gosh, we're on parallel tracks here. And um, it was just perfect. So I, I really recommend that to anybody. It'll change kind of the game for you and how you think about productivity and, and your own work. Absolutely. I, I would second that recommended recommendation wholeheartedly. Uh, what about a tool or a resource? Yeah, okay. So like I, I do love Evernote and I use Nosby as my task management system. And so those are great tools, but that's not the one I'm going to recommend. So the one that I love right now that I use for almost everything when I'm creating content is one called Workflowy. Now, there are people that use this for task management and project management, but basically this is a very simple but very elegant outliner. And I used to use Omni Outliner, but if you've ever used Workflowy, um, you can see the difference almost immediately. It's like just one giant outline. So every speech starts there, every blog post starts there, every course every piece of content. I've got an offer today that I want to make to a prospective employee. I'll do that in Workflowy. I'll outline the whole thing and write the letter and then I'll export it to something else. Oh, cool. We haven't gotten that one before. And I can tell you get excited by the technology of it all. So I do. Uh, Absolutely. That's great. All right. So now it's, it's not a technical automation, but a one for yourself, uh, a ritual that's helped you out in your life. Yeah, I think the, the best ritual for me is, uh, or an example of one that's maybe not typical, is kind of a ritual that I go through when I prepare to take the stage when I'm going to be speaking. And so for me, it begins 
uh, the night before, and it involves reviewing my notes and going through the speech out loud on my feet the night before I give it. And there's just something about it sinking into my subconscious overnight that's hugely helpful. Um, I get up and I go through my morning routine as usual. Exercise is really important to get my blood circulating and get my best thinking uh, cranked up. And then I go through a series of, after I've gotten dressed, I go through a series of affirmations about speaking. And I have these in Evernote, but I just go through these. And it just gets me in a great, speed, a great space where I'm not focused on myself. When I find that I get nervous and it gets unproductive, is when I start thinking about myself, like, you know, are people going to think I'm funny? Is this going to be helpful and all that? But if I focus on what other people need and what I'm there to do, what my job is, it gets me in a really, really positive uh, space. And it's almost like a recipe that gets me into the right mental and emotional state to really deliver my best. And then the final thing I do as a part of that ritual is um, I listen to uh, my wife just affirming me and uh, she does this thing with the front end of this Bon Jovi song where she just says, uh, Michael Hyatt, you freaking rock. And she screams that and then Bon Jovi comes in and like, I'm just off to the races. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You freaking rock. <laughs> well, Michael, I, I would agree with your wife. You, you freaking rock. And if listeners agreed and want to find out more about you, your course, your books, your podcast, your all the things, uh, where should I point them? Yeah, the best place to go is to freetofocus.com to find out about my productivity work. And this is a new course that we're uh, just in the process of launching. I, I think it's, it's my signature course now. It's the best thing I've ever done. But uh, in general, you can find out more about me just at michaelhyatt.com. That's got links to everything else. All right. We'll be sure to put everything in the show notes, Productivity Show episode 109. It is the, the time this is coming out is when the course is live and will be launched. So head on over there as soon as possible so you can get on board with some of the free content that you're putting out there and uh, check out the course for yourself. So thank you so much, Michael. I really, really appreciate you having you on and uh, look forward to diving more into uh, what, you, what you're getting up to in the future because it's always good stuff. Thanks, Zach. Great to be on with you. Well done, Michael. Over 30 email templates that he's able to just reduce the amount of time in your inbox, reduce that drudgery, and focus on more of the things in your, your passion zone, in your desire zone, instead of that drudgery zone we all uh, want to get out of where you're not good at it and you're not passionate about it. And if, if email is not that for you, I don't know what would be. Um, you can find out more about Michael and his course and books and other materials, his podcast at theproductivityshow.com forward slash 109. And if you want to find out a little bit more about our email efficiency course, you can sign up there because we also want you spending less time in your inbox and more time living life on your terms. The next two weeks, we're going to be talking about email specifically on the Productivity Show. On episode 110, we'll be talking about the problems. In 111, we'll be talking about the solutions. So until then, please plan, do, review, organize, prioritize, delegate, and automate what you can. Focus on your most important task. Take care of yourself. Find momentum. Move towards your ideal. Achieve anything, but not everything. Enjoy this life, do more of the important work, of the desire zone work, and be better. Thank you for listening. I look forward to connecting next Productive Monday.